This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As they say in Temple of Doom, welcome to the bonus show for There Will Be Dungeons. Uh, it's December 2021, December 4th to be exact. And if you're a supporter of us, you're getting this early. I'm really glad you are. Thank you all for your support. Uh, this is our first since the waste came back. So very excited to answer a few questions and have some around the fire chatter here as usual. Uh, we've got Kristen who has a whole list of emails. Kristen, let's do these. What do you got? All right. First one. What games did the elven ghost pirates play to pass the time waiting around for Captain Stanley? Oh, geez. What do you think, Stanley? Or is that a bow? Who answers that's that? A, that's a bow question. I don't know well, what they do. Yeah. I'm not responsible I, for I ghosts. Didn't, I didn't think of that. Uh, they were uh, in the ghost equivalent of cryogenic sleep or stasis mm-hmm. so they weren't really doing anything they were just energy stored they were they were like a zip file that you put a file in and leave it are they like uh do you remember that tng episode where um moriarty and the you know data screwed up and the moriarty program got too smart and then broke out and was now walking around the ship instead of just being in the holodeck but then they tricked yeah, them I- into hiding in a hard drive or whatever it's like that they think they're in there but Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that's all coming back to me now. Yeah, yeah. kind of like that. Okay. Like they still exist, but they don't. They exist in a way that mortals don't really quite get. And maybe they played uh, Canasta or something. I, I don't know. Sure, it's possible. Okay, so I actually have a broader question about that. Would well, I'm gonna I'm gonna save it. Never mind. I'm gonna save that. I have a thought, but I'm saving it. <laughs> don't worry, it'll come up later. Like it's, it's like a question for the ghost. No, it's a question for you. It just something occurred to me, but it might be dumb, and I don't want to sound dumb, so I'm not going to do it. It was a thing that Nash might ask, and I'm not going to ask it. That's all right. Okay. It's like it's all good. Keep moving. You can ask any- it in character if you want. Yeah, we have a question like a- from a N Magard of the <laughs> SM. <laughs> I mean, to me, it's like okay. Let me ask you this, but I'll ask it in a different way. Well, it's so. like a bonus scene for it's a cut scene. Let's do let's do a cut scene. Okay, right, Nash. Go. Well, I'm not going to do it with Nash because it'd be even dumber. But here's what I'm going to ask you. Oh. I'm, I'm going to reframe it. <laughs> I think it's even dumber if Nash asks the question. It's true. It will be dumber if he asks. Let me, so let me reframe it. Um, I was thinking about this the other day as I'm dabbling in a bunch of MMOs right now. And I hopped into star Wars, the old Republic again, um, while I was waiting for a queue for another game. Anyway, while I was in there, I noticed an NPC that I remember from day one, like playing that game back in 2012 or whatever it was. And I remember seeing that NPC at the time and he's hammering away. On, oh, no, no. He's on his, he's on all fours and he's wiping the floor like he's working. And he's not using anything but his bare hand. It's real stupid. But there he is doing it. 
And so I log into this game seven, eight years later, and boom, there he is, still scrubbing that floor. He never left, right? <laughs> so my question is, as a DM, do you think of your NPCs as dormant while we're not around them? Or do you think they are up to stuff? Like, and, and would we ever know? I guess what I'm asking is, what is what is Bo's um, imagination say about what his characters do while we're not there? They or while are you're for gone? sure up for stuff. They are up to stuff. They're for sure doing things, right? Okay. You know, um, you know, Monsoon got, or not Monsoon, the Mind Master got busy after you were done beating him in the M-Sports Championship. He overthrew Tobacco Fleur and came back and sent the Asphyxiant Army. So he's, yeah, the characters are doing things. I am, I do think about that. Yeah. I mean, I don't necessarily write it down, but, you know, when it comes time to encounter those characters again, I'm thinking, what have they done since? Right. You know, Monsoon's been up to stuff, right? And uh, the Nameless One's back. Um who knows what the jeweler's doing right now? He might have carved a statue of you and is punching it because he doesn't like you. <laughs> well, like, or Nash, not you. But right, Nash, right, right, Nash. Nash. But I re- the reason I asked is because tonight we did a whole bunch of revelation about what the solar mine is and where it is and how to get in there. And we're doing all this stuff in our latest episode, which people should have heard mm-hmm. by now if they're listening to this. And it occurred to me that things probably have changed because when I left there, no one had ever escaped. But then I did with one, with one other person, which we haven't even gotten into yet. Um, I don't know where that person is. But the uh, we we did the escape. Does that mean that since we left, they had a all hands meeting and said, you know, we can't let that happen again. Let's upgrade the the, the slow Peters. Like, at what point do you make those linear decisions or those non linear decisions? I should say, the Solar Mines is a little unique because it's your backstory, and yeah. I wanted to give you, you know, you can say what's up with Solar Mines, but at the same time, as we've played. It's become interesting to me to connect you to the principal uh, as because of your dragon metal heart. Mm. And so there's Nash's memory of what the solar mines is. Yeah. And then there's what the solar mines really is that you weren't aware of as you were just uh, an escapee, just a victim. So I, I don't know that uh, stuff probably has definitely changed, but I, I think what I'm going to be, when I think about solar mines, I think about, what was glaringly obvious now that wasn't obvious to you then about what was going on there. And, you know, you have a dragon metal pacemaker, like your, your, your character is very, you didn't know that. Right. And you know, your, your junk sort of disintegrated off for some, you know, full of radiation. Like (laughs) there's, there's, there's so much about you and your character's not very like, "Mm, let me go to the library and read a billion books on a subject. You know, you're kind of like, I don't care about this shit or whatever, you know, like, so there's a lot he might not know and still might not know that he's going to find if he lives to see the solar mines again. What's a, tonight, it was a bit of a revelation. I don't know if anyone will even notice this, but we basically revealed that that um, his junk didn't work anyway. So kicking the, the dirty thing under the bed may have seemed real weird at the time, but it was already useless because... Uh, we now, you know, we now have some information about what the mines were for. What what happens to kids in the mines if they grow up and are unable to produce children? What happens to them? And he got sent where the people's junk don't work. So, yeah, I guess maybe they put one too many parents in yeah. the soup that made you. Yeah, and we needed a magical plant based unit from my girlfriend mm-hmm. now wife to make that work. Yeah. So, yeah, that's uh, that's druid prosthetics. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> druid penis. 
shrewd penis. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. I think we answered that. Yeah, I think we did. Yeah. We ended at a good point. It's, yeah. It's Went places. Um, catching up and listening to the final bonus chat about Delvers, and I was just curious if Kyle is or was familiar with the Mummy's Mask Pathfinder AP that specifically has flying battle pyramids of destruction. Oh, my God. That sounds awesome. No, but I love ancient aliens. Yeah. And ancient aliens is constantly flashing images of flying pyramids and just... It's it's such a great show. You learn like five minutes about something real and like a place you've never heard of. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Some some stone formation, and then it's like twenty five minutes of just random lore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that stuff too. That reminds me of what I like about Stargate, so I can ignore what I don't like about Stargate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then that, that well, is to fun- say, mostly the movie. I hate that movie, but I love the, I love the ideas in that movie more than I like it. The movie. Oh, wow. This is actually really, uh, this is pretty in-depth. There's a lot of adventures in this world. That's awesome. I mean, the the, the Kalazar was also based off the Crypt Lords from uh, Warhammer, because those guys are awesome. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, they are. Or Crypt Kings, I Crypt think Kings. it is. Crypt, Crypt Kings. Kings, yeah. I think that's right. I, no, wait, no, that's, uh, that's a... Isn't that right? On, I, I gotta find it. All right. Yeah, we gotta get our 40k lore right. That's important, I think. <laughs> I just know there's orcs with a K. Uh, you got mm-hmm. your uh, you got your night your uh, sorry your space marines. You got your uh, blood blood angels. Uh, your your space wolves. Tomb kings. There you Tomb go. Kings. Tomb, Tomb kings. Tomb kings. Yeah. I thought you said poon kings, but I don't know what that means. <laughs> that's a different thing. <laughs> All right, this is a question <laughs> that's in the <laughs> uh, little behind the scenes. Kyle was very very excited that somebody finally asked this question before we move back into the wastes. What's up with the bell pants? The Delvers seem nonplussed by them, but I really wanted to know what the heck Carrie had to say about them. The bell pants? Kyle couldn't shut up about the bell pants. I'm actually really glad. This is one of those things where it was like, I wasn't curious until somebody asked, and then I was like, I am curious about this. Why didn't we ever investigate this further? The bell pants were a tie-in to season one's boss with the cultists, so... The fishmen and the frogs were all worshiping the dark below something. And they kind of corrupted it in their own image. So there was like a, a fish mummy down there, an evil giant frog. And, and they were looking to summon their own version, use the dark power of the Kalazar to bring forth evil that they could worship. So the, so the human cultists went through and collected off the bell pants and the the staffs and the other religious items from those races so he could prevent them from summoning their corrupted version of the Kalazar and basically wasting his power. They're just ritual pants. They just put them on and dance around with little bells on. Yeah, it. basically oh, the fishman does a kind of, you know, up, up and down uh, uh, you know, staff kind of dance. And the bell pants is more of like a walk out. You got crazy frog legs and you start like doing the drums are going and you start shaking your frog legs. Yeah. And it was basically their method of summoning. Uh, but I'm so since, glad we smashed those. Yeah. Yeah. So nobody really cared about the cultist angle. So the cultist <laughs> thing just kind of it. it, it it was worked into like the cultists were the people who were trapped underground and they became kind of mind controlled. And that was a whole sort of side plot, but ended up just like not being a big part as we went forward. There you go. 
All right, uh, this one's for John. This stood out to me since we were just talking about it in the chat. Uh, and I know this was answered in chat, but in case anybody else is curious, John said that he traded out Eldritch Blast for Booming Blade since Diantelis already had it, and he was using it a lot in another game as a warlock. But he used it on the demon during the exorcism. Do bards have access to Eldritch Blast at higher levels? Uh, so, yes, this is correct. Uh, basically, there was a point where um you know a little extra backstory when we were kind of coming up with the idea of what diantalus was going to be um there were a lot of different ideas and ultimately he ended up being a warlock in the time of that happening i started another DD game where i was playing as a warlock and so i wound up in this weird little place where i was playing two warlocks and we played on the same night so I would go from There Will Be Dungeons to this other game, and half the time I was doing There Will Be Dungeons, I was a bard, and half the time I was a warlock, and I felt like all I was ever doing for, like, eight hours a day was casting Eldritch Blast, and I was getting really sick of it, and I said, Bo, I have to stop casting Eldritch Blast, can I change it out for something else? And he said yes, and so I changed it to Booming Blade. Uh, which also fit with what Stanley was doing with, uh, you know, the fish bird and all of that business. Like it, it just seemed like a good fit at the time. And then as we kind of, you know, had this capstone on like coming to terms with Diane Talis and beating him and moving past him and like finally turning on Katobal Praith and really doing line in the sand. Uh, and also go, not doing the fish bird business anymore because that was just ridiculous um i was like <laughs> hey i'm not playing this other warlock uh anymore in the other game and you know i think it would be a neat nod to diantalis if i could go back to that so it, it's basically a feat it's a magic adept feat uh that stanley has and um he basically has a couple early uh level spells in warlock and uh eldritch blast is one of them and i switched it back to eldritch blast uh not too long ago so that's why he had it didn't have it and has it again it did seem i guess i didn't notice or i wasn't paying attention when it suddenly disappeared and didn't know you changed it and i th and i remember thinking no oh, he was really heavy on eldritch blast for a long time must be a new level thing where you don't need it anymore or whatever but yeah, it's no, a, when you it's level a, up, you can change to you can you can swap spell, uh, a spell out every level up. I think it's a solid spell. And also another thing that happened was I was I was toying around with booming blade and using it in a cool way, and then they actually did an update to D and D that shut down that way of using that spell. And I was like, oh well, I can't even I can't even use it the way I wanted to anymore. Well, we'll switch back to Eldritch Blast. Awesome. Uh, what was the glorious combat thing that Bo mentioned? I liked the rule idea and wanted to try it. They found the clip, but for everyone else listening, what's that glorious oh, combat yeah. thing you did? So it's a homebrew mechanic I'm testing out live uh, on the show just to spruce up inspiration a little bit or to provide a, a variety of rewards. Inspiration is still something that could be offered. But the glorious token damage token is you do max damage uh, on. You can cash it in in the next combat to do max damage on the, on any give on any roll, and then double it. So glory, the damage is glorious. So Jeez. you like if it was Varel cashing it in, he could literally punch someone, do max damage, and explode it into smithereens for an awesome. Flurry. But it doesn't matter if the if you if you miss the roll, like you don't you have a bad roll for that for hit. 
you don't get. Yeah, you don't have to decide before. I'm not okay, punishing okay. in that way. It's just when it comes time to roll damage, you say, I'm cashing in my glorious damage token. And then we say, okay, you punch this. You you punch the dinosaur, and the dinosaur flew into the outer space. <laughs> you know, like it's maybe not that ridiculous, but you know, you will, it, it will, you will tactically eliminate something probably instantly and you will probably annihilate it in some way and that's a and single single use wait for your next long rest it, it has to be used in the next combat so you can't sit on it forever wait for the end boss and just one shot the end boss gotcha. so unless it's earned doing role play so if you do some fantastic role play before a big bad maybe you do get a glorious token it's to incentivize good role play and um uh if there's more than one glorious damage token then um, only one person has to cash it in. If they cash it in, the rest of the party. So if if there's four of them and one person cashes it, three people can carry it over to the next one. Again, maybe I'll award inspiration sometimes so there's no gaming the system, but I thought it was a neat alternative that didn't exist in D&D that I'm going to try and see if it's fun. And if it's fun, maybe it'll get popular. So people like to hit things really hard and have fantastic things happen. You know, I think that's a fun potentially a fun do you, thing. you do guys you, will tell me do you have to think too much about being too op with something or or if you somebody uses it once obviously dms can do whatever they want but do you do you kind of go all right let's see how that went eh, as a little op i'm gonna have to scale back how it works or i mean i'm thinking about what the potential counters are coming up so if you have a glorious damage token and there's eight enemies in an encounter so yeah you'll get one of them really hard i'll have to think about it when it when it comes to like dramatic bosses potentially breaking that but um i don't know max damage for a big boss doesn't necessarily kill it anyways you know especially if they have resistances and things of that nature so it's an experiment for sure very cool all right and then we have a question from uh someone named john here if you were starting the campaign over knowing what you know now what changes would you make to the character in terms of class personality and or skills oh man See, I've got an answer to this that may not be a popular answer, but I, I think give him my character a penis. I, <laughs> I think <laughs> my one regret in life. I'm gonna have children. It's not gonna be from a weird plant. Yeah, I, I mean, basically, this to me, this it's like uh, the animated. Take any animated series and look at season one, and I think it's this what you're describing. It isn't that you want to make changes. It's that you don't know what your voice is yet. You don't know what the tenor is yet. You just know you got to get going. So you do the best you can and you get your pilot out there and then you hope the network likes it and then you keep moving. But very quickly, Homer starts to sound different. Uh, Peter Griffin starts to sound and look maybe a little different. Um, The way a certain character, I mean, this goes for lots of things. Snoopy uh, back in the old days used to be on all fours. And by the time Charles Schultz was at his prime, Snoopy walks on two legs, uh, on his two hind legs and uh, like a human being and nobody really noticed, but it happened. And if you look at his old art, you're like, Whoa, when did, when the frick did he do that? And why was Charlie Brown's head so big? And you know, there's lots of examples of this, but I think that this isn't any different than that. It's like, we start with whatever we want to start with and then things evolve and, and become what we may have started with to begin with, but no one knows how to do that. Nobody does that. You have to evolve. You have to tweak. So I don't know if it's the best answer in the world, John, since you wrote it. No, I I think that's, I think that's true. Uh, But I mean, that's what I mean is so, okay. But now you are like, let's say it's day one, but everything else, you know, everything else that's going to happen. 
you know how Varel's going to be. You know how Hope's right. going to be. You know how Stanley's going to be. Right. How is Nash different on episode one in that universe? Um, well, I started Does out really. Does he just become what he is now, or would you would you actually play with him and make him different? I think part of it was also we none of us know what the rest of the work, or sorry, the rest of the group dynamic is. And so when Nash started, he was a grumpy, very serious, don't trust anybody, dark wizard sorcerer man. And... And you know those those he had his sores and his and his horrible stuff and he had the solar mines as a backstory in a vague way and he had his big red glowing eye that he was blind in otherwise but it made difference magically and stuff like all of that stuff was rooted in really dark fantasy and not any kind of levity or or quirk or anything. But what happens is as you start to move on and we start to kind of get cues from each other as to how we're going to play and how we're going to interact, he started to change. And he started to just basically have more fun with himself. Or I had more fun with him, let's say. And just stopped taking it quite so seriously. And explored things like, well, what if he's a weirdo that wants to sniff or taste or pick up everything he sees? Like that sort of stuff. I don't know why my dog's barking. That was a really good um, answer, by the way. Well said. Yeah. I think that's how it works for it, it's how it worked for me. And I don't think I'd change anything, honestly. I, I like the the progression and the changes and the sort of natural, you know, way everything moved in the same way that I appreciate season two of, you know, Curb Your Enthusiasm versus season one. Or, you know, Seinfeld season one is really hard to watch if you go back to it now. Um or it's okay to yeah, watch. It's just so different. As kids, you know, like maybe you don't like how they turned out, but you love them to death no matter what. Yeah, <laughs> you don't like what they're doing right now or something. Yeah, I think of all the characters that way. I'm just like they couldn't, they couldn't be anything other than what they are. Or you're just glad they, they you're glad they did turn out okay. Like, you know, yeah, I, yeah. I, let's say that. I've, yeah. I've, I've got you know when I was when my kids were little, I remember having ideas about what I thought they were going to be, or how they were going to be, or whatever. And it, and in some ways, I was right about certain personality traits and th- things like that that kind of come prepackaged that way. But in the end, they're great in their own way that I didn't see coming because they went that way. And I think that's not that different than what our characters do. I would love anyone else's opinion, though. This is just my take. Like, John, what do you think? You wrote the question, but what do you think? <laughs> Uh, I think, yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I think watching that natural evolution is really fascinating. It's the reason why I wouldn't say, Scott, it serves no purpose. You need to remove episode zero. It does more harm than good. Uh, As people go and listen to this setup that, you know, Bo is basically a preacher apostatizing and Nash is just a grumpy old wizard and Hope is this bright, optimistic thing and Stanley's a slimy, skeezy salesman and... Uh, Varel is exactly the same. Um, it's, <laughs> to, like, uh, to like Ahsoka Tano in season six, you got to put up with Ahsoka Tano in season one of Clone Wars. You know, Right. And, and I think it's cool to be able to go back and hear it. I think the one thing I would change um, that, that kind of just happened is I, I definitely going in pictured Stanley as like, you know, I hadn't played a lot of D and D and I was like, I'll just hang back. I'm not going to make waves. I'm not going to talk. I'll just, maybe I'll chime in with a joke here and there. Maybe I'll steal something. People will be mad at me, but it'll be fine. Like, that's what I'm going to do. Um, and it, it really quickly, the dynamic showed that Stanley was going to be talking a lot 
and uh, that he was going to assume a bit of a leadership role um, within the group. And the personality I had in mind for him certainly wouldn't have fit that. Like he would have just led everybody to, I mean, you could argue he still did, but like it would have been a real dark place. He would have basically tried to take over every civilization they met. Just like, hey, how are we going to take over this town? Uh, we can run it in a week. Let's get there. And um, I think a lot of that is the the character's personalities, and a lot of that is you know practical things. I mean, I don't know how Kristen manages uh, a kid while also doing the show. I can't manage the kid while trying to have a snack. So I think it's a real miracle that she's able to play. But also that does mean sometimes she's not there, and you know sometimes. You know, if it's quiet and we need a decision, Varel isn't the best decision maker, or maybe he is. It certainly would be a very different campaign if Varel was getting his way on every vote. Um, so I just, I think it kind of wound up being what it was being. And I think knowing all that and how all that would go, I think I would play Stanley more almost like a Ted Lasso kind of coach where he's like, going to be a bit optimistic and he's going to give you his opinion and then he's going to let everybody go off and do what they're going to do and he's going to hang back and kind of watch and be like yeah look at him out there doing a good job and be more supportive rather than like front and center going to be casting magic and doing all this stuff i don't know what that would have done to the campaign who knows but i think I would be curious to see what that would look like at least. Yeah. Are you Kyle? It's been mentioned a couple of times and I agree with John. You stayed somehow almost, I mean, I think pretty much identical. How are you doing that? <laughs> like, it seems hard to me to like hold the line. Your character started a certain way and he's still that way. And then, and he's still, and he's great in all the ways that you want to have a good developed character be great. But he's, he's grown. He has. Yeah. It's not that yeah. he hasn't changed, but I feel like the core hasn't. His core hasn't is been very consistent. Yeah, his very consistent uh, quality to it, as opposed to like the way Nash changed. So what? I don't know. How do you attribute that? When I, I mean, when I originally, it sounded like we all kind of made side characters in a funny way because my goal was I have played so much D anD D that I wanted to make sure I didn't wrestle control and lead the whole party or be the wizard with all the ideas, which is often kind of what I placed myself into. I'm just, I'm going to grab up all the things and I've got the plot. No worries. And I'll talk first. So Varel was designed in a way that he would always be more reactionary to the rest of the party. And by going along for that ride, he would find more glory and purpose. I think really the only thing that really stands out to me that, uh, that wasn't really a part of Varel when I first designed him was the vocabulary. Uh, there was kind of this like background idea I had, and it's been just someone I, I told a, uh, someone once what it was. And they're like, Oh, you mean curious George? And yeah, basically like there was a principal city as we worked <laughs> it into the plot, a uh, scholar who found Varel's tribe and removed Varel from it and kind of Tarzan situation and taught him English. So that's why he knows words like inseminate. And it doesn't, it, that wasn't a goal originally. It was more that the joy that I had in speaking with his voice while using big words was so great that it became part of his character. Gotcha. I love how verbose he is. 
Like naive and verbose at the same time is a weird combo, and I, it really works. It's really good. <laughs> right. Yeah. He he has all the words to explain it, but like the, at a conceptual level, he's completely off the mark. Yeah, I love that. Like that's really good. Well, uh, amazing questions as always. Even that one, John. What that about really what about hope? Oh, hope. Yeah, hope. Any uh, take on that? Uh, well, hope was always designed to be the road warrior character. So, dark backstory, not really happy, not really the jokey character, maybe a bad haircut from time to time, the dog dies, you know, like, the Road Warrior character is not a happy character, but they can fight, they're really good tactically, they can do the thing they set out to do, even if it's not the way that it was supposed to happen, so... That has meant that hope has gone very, very dark places emotionally and everything. And um, with Flynn here, that's been a challenge, right? Because, you know, without kids, you're like, yeah, I'm going to delve into the deepest, darkest parts of my soul because I don't really do that too often. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, oh, it's going oh, to be great. Yeah. <laughs> and then the little guy is making you laugh. Yeah, exactly. Like... <laughs> so I'm trying to be, like, serious because my parents are dead or something. But, um and then I got to play squirts for a while when he had just come along, which was fantastic. And it made me think that maybe had I known where this had gone, I would have rolled a squirts character so that we could have had more of a joker. Doesn't care about the combat or anything. Always trying to do stuff to Nash to get him to not fight. See how long you can stop him from fighting the rope. <laughs> 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 yeah. uh, but... Squirts and Nash was a good dynamic. It was. <laughs> it, really was. it was. Yeah, it was a really good team up. Yeah. yeah. So, as for Hope, I feel very sad for her. And I don't know how her story is going to end. But in the context of the story and what she's based off of, I think it fits really well with that because good things aren't supposed to happen to her. However, I do feel there is a reckoning coming because she hasn't really stood for anything. And that's allowed all of these terrible things to happen, right? She could have stayed and fought for her kingdom when the demon showed up, but she didn't. She Mm -hmm. ran away because she thought it would uh, follow her or something. So I think there's a reckoning coming up where she's going to have to figure out who she is and what she stands for. And poetically, maybe that'll be when she finally bites the dust. But you know, it's still that journey. And the road warrior was always trying to find himself or find the next adventure because he wasn't tied to anything. So mm-hmm. it's, it's sort of hope. Yeah, I so, think I yeah. think that's been honestly like talking about characters that go well together, like Squirts and Nash. I think Stanley and Hope has been my favorite. Yeah, dynamic. Yeah, really like they have surprising. they have a really weird one where sometimes they hate each other and sometimes they're mad at each other just because they're mad at themselves. And then sometimes they're the only people seeing the good in each other and pulling each other out of the dark. Like it's been, that's been a really, really fascinating dynamic is seeing the two of them where you have these two characters that don't think they're great people, but have great expectations upon them. And uh, they have to kind of see a mirror reflection in each other because you know, Stanley judged Hope so harshly for the things she did, especially with the the arm and all of that. But he also 
you know, he was under a demon pact for doing exactly the same thing for like grabbing at power because he thought they needed it and thought it was the right thing at the time. And, uh, you know, I think that dynamic has been super fun too. Totally agree. Yeah. Uh, well, there you go. Hey, if you at home and listen to this and you're like, man, I got a question that's just like that, or it's a little twist on it or whatever, we'd love to hear it. Go to the website, therewillbedungeons.com, and there's a little form right there. You can just send your questions. You can also, also do it on the Discord, or wherever you're feeling like saying stuff to us. And uh, we'll be back next month with answers to those questions. So keep them coming. It's going to do it for all of us. Hope you're having a great holiday week and month, and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.